Welcome into the Boardroom Podcast. I'm Ward 6 Alderman Ben Piper. I'm Ward 4 Alderman Chad Wicker. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing well. We're here in the uh, the boardroom. In the boardroom. In the actual boardroom for the city of Hernando. Dickens of a Christmas dress is here behind us. Yeah, it's a, I guess we got a, a, a dressing room or changing room or something set up here, I right. guess, for the future. Wow. Dickens of a Christmas coming up uh, this upcoming weekend. Uh, we're recording on November 9th, so we got a packed weekend uh, in Hernando. Dickens of a Christmas, the 10th, 11th, and 12th on the square. Uh, they've got ice skating. Uh, they've got trolley rides. They've got historic tours. you got shopping. you got hot chocolate. The mayor's reading night before christmas yeah that's tomorrow and friday night christmas tree lighting there's so much going uh, on crew, just go to the square or something is, is, is going the crew on. doing the uh, uh skating again i don't think so I don't, I, I don't know i don't know which uh, groups are doing the ice skating but okay. somebody will be doing the ice skating out there uh weather is kind of good i think it's gonna be a little rain saturday maybe. and sunday will be super yeah, nice but i think it's gonna be nice big football game saturday night too ole miss and georgia number nine versus number one number two Right. Depending on which one you look at, uh, big football game going on. It's over in Athens though, so nobody will be in Oxford. Uh, whole town will probably shut down. Everybody will go to Athens, I guess. Um, ben, you want to talk about our guests we're going to have this after uh, this? Uh, yes, sir. This, on this episode, the other thing going on this weekend is it is Veterans Day on Saturday. There's a Veterans Day parade in Hernando Friday, November 10th at 10 a.m. So it's Veterans Day weekend here. In Hernando, this is our Veterans Day episode of the Boardroom Podcast, and uh, we are bringing on our special guest is William Brooks, who is a, uh, a distinguished veteran, uh, originally from DeSoto County, double amputee from the uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom uh, in the uh, is the early two thousands or mid mid two. I believe what, I believe he, what he told us he, he 2004, joined two thousand four two thousand five. Yeah, I think he said he joined. Um, uh, Joined up right out of high school, mm-hmm. um, and then you know, served in the National Guard, and was uh, I think they were That's deployed right. uh, sometime in 2004, and I think he was he was injured in what 2005 or six. That's right. Um, but you will get to hear his story. Yeah, he went on to serve as a, a alderman in the city of South Haven. A uh, friend of mine, friend of Chad's. Yeah, and, um, and, and you know he he's someone that I think I know you do I do we both reach out to him and have, when we have questions about what's going on, and um, he he's been always been there to to uh, take take your questions and. Um, give his opinions and his thoughts with his experience. I think he was 12 years in South Haven. They had some. Uh, he had to make some tough, tough decisions during his he term. They, they were, they were, you know, they were also doing the pennies for the park tax, and they also had some issues with the, in the mayor's office there when he was there. So, anyway, fantastic interview from him. We, we, we glad he came on the program. Uh, what else Always ready on? to share an opinion too. He will tell you his opinion. Yeah, uh, yeah. he is. He he. Uh, well, I think uh, that's it, what I like. you know he he shared his uh, you know his story uh, at the mil- his military service, but also at the end he kind of <laughs> gives a call to service to uh, you know DeSoto Countyans about you know why we still you just cannot get past uh, you know twenty five thirty percent turnout in our in our county. That's right. Voter turnout. That's so right. We'll probably, we'll, probably, good... we'll probably hit on that at the end of the show about the election recap, but. It is a good interview. You want to you want to stay tuned for that. But first, we're going to jump into what's going on in the city of Hernando. We had a board meeting on Tuesday, first regularly called board meeting of the month of November. Uh, so one of the big things from it was the the board approving um, or authorizing the issuance of a general obligation bond in the amount of seven point five million dollars. Uh, this is coming without a tax increase. So that's the first question that people have. 
Uh, but what this is is essentially borrowing $7.5 million to make improvement to parks and recreation in the city of Hernando. Uh, there is a, a lighting project scheduled for the, uh, the soccer area or the soccer complex. Um, one area behind the, the concession stand needs to be lit. Parking lot lighting needs to go in um, there. So that, that will be done a quad or a four field uh, baseball is it baseball and softball or just a baseball chat? It's just baseball, right? Well, I mean, we would love to do more, but I think we're only going to be able to do a concession stand and a concession stand, and a, and a four fields. Quad. Yeah, uh, there's some match money in there for a, a state grant to build a road into Renaissance yes. Park and provide some green space, uh, pavilion, uh, kind of flesh out uh, Renaissance Park quite a bit more. Uh, but the, the these funds, and they, of course, there's a contingency in there. Uh, for for any cost overruns and whatever else, and if by some um, by some happenstance that, that we don't need the entire seven point five, what's well, really seven point two when you take out the the fees that are that, that go along with it, seven point two. Right, if, right. if for some reason it turns out to be only six million dollars, you could take that one point two and put it right back into paying the principal. Right, um, right, and, so. and and we're going to have semi annual payments, so we'll pay twice a year on the on the bond. Um, I think we're we're in a position where we can afford to do that. You mm -hmm. know, obviously, and I, you know, this may be controversial or whatever, but we we tried to do this through a pennies for the park referendum last year, and uh, our, our voters um, decided that's not what they want to do. So we did it a different direction. So we we're going to working make, within the budget. Yeah, we're working within our budget. Um, and, and times so, are tough. <laughs> times are tough. You yeah. work within your budget at your house. You work within the budget and government. And I think that's what voters yeah. told us. That's what we're going to do. So we should see the the lighting project fairly quickly. Hopefully, uh, you know. Yes. I, I don't want to say maybe by next next spring, the spring season, we could have the lights done. Uh, maybe possible. Uh, and then uh, the baseball project is going to be a little longer, but maybe hopefully maybe spring of twenty twenty five, something like that. You'd like to say about eighteen months on that. Yeah. Um, you know, on the on the soccer lighting, it's a little bit quicker because the RFQ is already out there. The yes, request yeah. for quotes already out there. Uh, I think we're we're opening those sometime in the next seven to ten days, so we'll we'll be able to hopefully get that moving forward. It's really just about, um, you know, if if the supply houses have those products that are needed. But uh, the city also we appointed Nicole Hilario Hul uh, as our assistant city clerk. Uh, it's a new position that was. Uh, that was created in this budget to give uh, to give the city clerk, I guess, a, a, you know, somebody that is their uh, that's their second hand, more or less. You have your city clerk that has to go out for, you know, for vacation and sick time, and sometimes our city clerk travels, and you'd have somebody that's here um, to to kind of you know pick up the uh, pick up the slack, as it were, to keep things running running um, at all times, uh, and then also it, it prepares, uh, you know, kind of that second person. You know, to potentially be the next city clerk one day, uh, if the if the uh, whoever's in the board and whoever the mayor uh, deems that that person's ready for that position, so it kind of is a uh, a backup plan um, for that position. City clerk, obviously, very important uh, position within the city. Uh, handles pretty much all the money, runs the payroll, uh, make sure bills are paid, make sure invoices are paid, uh, goes through the bidding process, make sure all that stuff's advertised. It's a very uh, important position that requires a lot of organizational ability. Uh, the uh, another couple things that we we jumped into was uh, we had a, a lowest and best bid uh, from Farrell Paving to do a uh, Mackinville sidewalk project. Chad, do you remember that the right there at the high school? Right? Yeah, so I think you're going to start just right there at uh, Walgreens and go up to uh, essentially just past the Magnolia apartment complex at the baseball fields. 
Um, that was part of an MPO grant that I think they, the city's had for several years, and I think they were issued getting the right-of-ways and so forth. So you will see a sidewalk there and um, continue to see improvements on that corridor. That's a busy corridor there, the McInville corridor. Um, and so um, this is just another uh, improvement there. And, and I, you know, I think we're going to continue to see additional sidewalks, hopefully across the high school property and then um, uh, the church property and, and all the way up there. Um, but I think at some point we need to talk about widening that road. I don't know what that's going to entail. It's, um, yeah, I mean, you have a you have a big sidewalk on either side of the road now, so it's going to be very difficult to, you know, to widen it. Um, yeah. Well, right, right there. there it's already four lanes, but I'm, I'm thinking further up, you know, kind of where the, where the church is mm -hmm. uh, came it, coming in and then up there by Wesley Meadows. Um, I mean, I, I run that uh, just about every morning, and it's, it's 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 I've noticed over the last six months or so just just more traffic. Even at five or six o'clock in the morning, it's more traffic. So yeah, I think another thing that will potentially help that out. I mean, just just in my opinion, uh, you know, people are looking for ways to go in that direction. Uh, when commerce is cut all the way through to Jaybird, yes, uh, and you have yes. other ways to get to Mount Pleasant and by Hillier Road. Um, I think that'll divert some traffic off of there. You know, people that live off Jaybird Road won't yeah. necessarily have to come to Mackinville to you know to get certain ways. But yeah. um, and, and the high school getting put up the the high school being built uh, north on the north mm -hmm. part of Mackinville will probably help with some traffic there. But uh, that's just a future future concern. Uh, last thing I guess Ben, you want to talk about the uh, uh, the the list of paving roads? Uh, we we approved a bid for two hundred eleven thousand dollars for. Essentially, a lot of the smaller roads we're going to try sure. to get paid this year. Um, the asphalt uh, street overlay project. You um, may see, and you may see some paving continuing to go on, and that's, you know, one of the things this board did intentionally uh, that has not been done in the past. So a lot of times in the past, uh, the the board was waiting on property taxes to come in, which usually came in in the first quarter um, of the calendar year. Uh, so sometimes you wouldn't see paving work start until the spring or summer. Um, one of the things this board has the advantage of is the uh, Mississippi Modernization Act funds uh, that come from internet sales tax. So the internet internet sales tax is essentially helping get roads paved just about year round. Um, so you have them, you have roads being paved now here in you know mid mid November when that was not something that would happen in the past. We're also fortunate to have some some unseasonably warm weather. Uh, asphalt plants are still open, so we're still getting roads paved. Uh, so you may see, I know in um, in Ward Six, I think uh, Hillshire Drive uh, is being milled down right now, so they can try to get it overlaid and the two little offshoots off of that. Um, over there in the Notting Hill neighborhood, that that area is getting milled down and overlaid, um, getting a little bit further. Yeah, I got I got a list here. There. So uh, Fairway Oaks. I think that one's being. I think we're doing some sewer work on that one. I think okay. we're going to push that, that one till yeah, the spring. Yeah, that's why the quit. I guess that's why the Panola Street's going to get some work done mm -hmm. to it. Uh, Center Street from Mount Pleasant to School Street. I uh, think that one may be done now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think that one's done. From the Baptist Church, uh, Hillshire Street. You just mentioned that mm -hmm. one. Uh, College from Hill Street to Oak Grove, uh, Drake mm -hmm. Cove. Uh, we've already done the Kirkendall Park parking lot. Um, uh, we did that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, th I think those four or five. Uh, Commerce by Windy City. Uh, we're gonna we're, mm. we're at dips right mm -hmm. there at the Redeemers Group uh, dips in the joint. We're fixing that. Um, Memphis Street uh, widening overlay. I think that one's probably gonna be another spring one. I think that's a big one. And then of course the roundabouts on this list. I, and I submitted some ones that's not on this list. So um, we're gonna continue to see uh, improvements there. I think we we had uh, got a lot of. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. There's, and there's, that, there's my mother. Hey. Oh, there we go. Hey, Mom, how you doing? 
you're, you're live on the podcast. Live so. on the podcast. There you go. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. That's good stuff. <laughs> That's right. I knew, I thought you'd want to see her. Yeah. Uh, so we um, so we've got that going on. That was uh, the amount of, and that paving was two thousand. I'm sorry, two hundred eleven thousand eight sixty six for some of those paving projects there being done. Quick reminder: we did we budgeted about two point five million, two point yes. seven yes. million. Total. We still have some bigger ones coming. They're already mm-hmm. they're around about at fifty one. Uh, I mean, excuse me. At, uh, no, 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 no. I ain't paying for that one. Yeah, they're, they're roundabout at uh, Holly Springs and uh, Mackinville. So. Yeah, something had to happen there, I guess. It's, it, it is kind of a – it's a very well-trafficked area sure, down there where, sure. where uh, Mackinville turns into Holly Springs. But um, So that was – you know, that's the big things from the meeting. It was a fairly short meeting. Uh, went to executive uh, session to discuss some prospective litigation, and th- those things are always going on. Uh, but we didn't have a lot of uh, – I didn't have a lot of discussion on these things. A lot of it's just kind of paying bills and keeping things moving forward yeah, for the city. Yeah, and just to reiterate what you said, I mean, the the, the the project that we're going to do at the baseball fields, you know, that was something that we all heard from, and we're going to – we're addressing that, you know, uh, probably not the way we all wanted to, and, and uh, but we're getting it done. So I think that's that's something positive about this board and this group of uh, people we serve with that we are uh, addressing issues as they uh, arise. So. And it's important to – I know some people may, may look at it and say, well, my – you know, I'm um, – 60 years old, I don't have any kids. Yeah, you know, right. I don't get to use these parks. Well, that, that, you may not – you choose not to use the park. You can certainly go for a walk in the park anytime you want to. If you don't want to, that's that's okay too. Sure. Um, you know, I don't – I've been fortunate enough I've never had to call the fire department to my house. Uh, but I still uh, have taxes that go towards paying for the fire department, uh, pay for the police department. You never burnt really, nothing in your oven. You never eat nothing. I haven't. I have not burnt. Now, now, somebody has at my house. <laughs> not me. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't not be. me. Yeah, it wouldn't not, be. It wasn't me. <laughs> still pay them taxes. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so that's part of it is just, you know, this is everybody benefits from, you know, having a, a strong park system. It gives kids something to do. It brings people in from the county um, as well. If you've ever seen, um, we, I know we had a map at one point that showed, um, you know, like little kind of like little location dots of all the registrations from all, Tate County, DeSoto, you know, all over DeSoto County, going into Horn Lake, South Haven, Olive Branch. Kids come from all over to Hernando to use our parks. Now, whether it's basketball, baseball, um, soccer, whatever it may be, um, you know, we have to make sure these facilities are safe uh, and that they're they're up to date. A lot of them have not been updated in decades. Yeah, anybody who's been out there and seen that concession stand yeah. and the bathroom facility there uh, knows it needs to be done. And, uh, you know, we, we took a step last year in purchasing that project. Uh, and, and Ben and I and, and the mayor negotiated purchasing that property. And uh, we're just going to make improvements out there and make it the best we can, and, and you know, with the tax dollars we have. And It'll be something people can be proud of, and we're going to continue know. to work to try to – Try to find the best way to, right. to, we're, uh, we're, we're to get opening, it done. We're, we're opening bids today for the, the uh, restroom facility at Kirkendall Park, so that that park's really coming along. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got it repaved. We got we uh, you know cut all the trees down a couple years ago. So, well, as far as city business, I think that's about it. Ben, do you want to kind of recap our uh, our state elections we had uh, just kind of briefly? Yeah. So we didn't have a lot of local races uh, to be decided. The Republican primary that we had in August uh, decided a lot of those races here, at least in the in the Hernando area. Uh, Doc Harris did not have a uh, a Democratic challenger, so he he is uh, now our our representative elect. House tw- House seat twenty eight. Uh, Mike McClendon, our state senator, uh, one. Did, you know, again did not have a did not have a Democratic challenger. Our supervisor uh, Robert Foster, he's our supervisor elect um, in District Five. 
we did have uh, our uh, Karen Karen Sanders, Justice the Court Justice Judge. Court Judge. She, 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 she did have an independent yeah. challenger, but I think she had about seven thousand votes to yeah, about two thousand, something like that. It was not not an especially close race. Well, something that I'm excited about, and, and that we talk about with William later on, is um, you know we, we have some new legislators coming from Desoto County delegation. Um, you know, some of our uh, previous legislators had, you know, with lack of a better word, a bad reputation with some of the state leadership, and I think that harmed us in some areas. Uh, but now we're we're getting some new people there who seem to, uh, you know, have a good head on their shoulders, and I'm I'm excited about the next four years with them serving as the legislator. Well, it will be. It is left to be seen. I'll say that the the that was certainly the what we heard from people in Jackson. That was the feedback that we got from Jackson. Uh, now now that there are new people. Um, and there is presumably a new movement here in DeSoto County and have, have a new delegation. Will it be more, uh, will it be better for DeSoto County or not? That's, that, that, in my opinion, that is left to be seen. I hope that the feedback that we got from Jackson was honest and, yes. that, uh, and, and that it does mean that, uh, that things will have some amount of positive impact for DeSoto County and, honestly, that we get our fair share of the, of the taxes that are sent um, that are sent to Jack because honestly it's our money. I think William speaks to that later on, but uh, we don't want to talk too much about what we're going to yeah. get into, but uh, we're going to be bringing him on here in just a minute. Um, and, and the statewide races, uh, Governor Tate Reeves won re-election over Brandon Presley uh, by about a five-point margin. Uh, Delbert, yeah. Delbert Hoseman uh, won fairly comfortably. Our state auditor, Shad White, run, won fairly comfortably. Yeah, there, there, there Michael was, Watson, yeah, there, Lynn there, Fitch, there, there was a Republicans concern, across the board. Yeah, there was a concern that maybe there was some, some you know, the governor's seat would flip and then, uh, you know, maybe see that trickle down somewhere. And there's, there's no question that, this, that DeSoto County and um, Mississippi in general is a conservative Republican state. And I'll, and I'll say, because a lot of times people will give this criticism towards uh, campaigns, that sort of thing is like, you know, but you just, you just got to be the person that raises the most money. Well, Mississippi, that's not the case yeah. because Brandon Presley raised $13 million uh, and, and outraised. If anybody saw the ads, 80, 80% from outside money or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so. so he raised the money. He did it. He did He did the money raising part. And, and people in Mississippi, to, to Governor Reeves' point, Mississippi's not for sale. Uh, its voters aren't for yeah, sale. Well, and, I, th I think, Ben, just on a national level, I think – um, I think the Democratic Governor Association, the Democratic Party, was using using Mississippi, Kentucky, Virginia as a, as a litmus test for the next presidential election, and seeing you know if, if they could get a, a higher turnout uh, in the minority communities in Mississippi, and and see how you know see how things played in Kentucky. Well, I think the Democratic yeah. governor did win in Kentucky. Um, so. I don't know if that's the best litmus test. I, Brandon Presley can figure his way off a stage. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the best litmus test, but that's, but, that's but, fine. But, I mean, I think, I think they were seeing if, if, if you know, a, a, a white Democrat could get a minority turnout in, in Mississippi. Sure, and, and, sure. And I, I don't, it didn't seem like that was the case. I don't think they got the turnout they were looking for to make that race competitive. So, Well, we will definitely be talking more turnout, a little bit more about these elections as we uh, wrap up our uh, interview with our guest this week. Let's bring him on now, yes, William sir. Brooks, our Veterans Day episode guest of the week, distinguished veteran of DeSoto County. All right, and now we are bringing on our special guest uh, for this week, our Veterans Day episode of the Boardroom Podcast. We have William Brooks, a uh, former South Haven alderman, also a uh, distinguished uh, veteran. Can I call you a distinguished veteran? Man, that's that, that you're being a little <laughs> nice, but okay, okay. 
I'm not sure I'm distinguished, but I'll, I'll yeah. take the, he's the distinguished. Compliment. He's very, he's <laughs> extremely distinguished. I like to give him a hard time. I've known him for a little bit now, and even though, um, you know, I, I show up to our recording with some Ole Miss on, he's got some Mississippi State on. We still can break bread and uh, be nice to each other from time to time. I mean, it's it's the Hatfields McCoys, but hell State, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. We got a game coming up in a couple of weeks. <laughs> it'll be it'll be a, a fun Thanksgiving, I'm it, sure, it, across it, the it, state. Sadly, it won't be much of a game. I'm gonna go ahead and concede <laughs> now. Um, I don't. I'm, I'm not very optimistic. Not this year. I know that maybe. trick. I know yeah. that trick. We fa- I've uh, fallen into it before. <laughs> but as we state fans say, man, there's always next year. That's our that's, right. that's our that's, that's our our mantra. Uh, <laughs> Ole Miss too. A lot of times. Uh, so, William, tell us a little bit about <clears throat> your background. I know originally you're a DeSoto County li- a li- lifetime guy, but um, and kind of why you chose to go into the, the armed forces. So, yeah, I was born in Memphis uh, in 82. I've been living in South Haven my entire life. And so uh, my parents moved here in the late 70s. They're, uh, my mom's from um, Greenville. My dad's from Eupora. They moved up here to teach school at South Haven High School in the late 70s, and we've we've lived here ever since. But when I was – I joined the, the National Guard when I was 17. I was actually a junior in high school back in 1999. And at that time, I just uh, – I was kind of a dumb kid that just needed some discipline and direction in life, and I thought, well, this would be a good idea. And this was a good, a good two and a half years before um, 9-11 ha- happened. So that was pretty much why wow. – you know, and it was, you know, the paying for college was a uh, an incentive and all that stuff. But truthfully, sure. I just wanted to um, just wanted to serve and do something, but also um, be able to go to college while I served. So, did you have any uh, family members previously that had served? It was kind of yes. What? So both of my grandfathers, um, my, my 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 dad's my dad's dad, he retired from the army. Um, he got drafted during World War II. Spent twenty two years. So my dad was an army brat growing up. My other grandfather had fought in World War II. He fought in the Battle of the Bulge. Um, wow. And so my wow. dad's dad fought in Guam. So I've had – they were both combat engineers. So I, I come from a military family. My great-grandfather uh, fought in World War One, And so he actually trained at Camp Shelby. My grandfather trained at Camp Shelby. And then I trained at Camp Shelby before I went to Iraq. So Camp Shelby is pretty, um, pretty important to our family, to our military history anyway. And for those of y'all who listen, and I'm – not originally from the state of Mississippi, didn't know what Camp Shelby was. Camp Shelby's in just yeah. outside Hattiesburg. It's an enormous. So enormous Camp Shelby camp. is the at one time. I don't know if it's changed, but it was the largest reserve and National Guard uh, military training post in the country. So like Fort Hood would be the biggest one for the Army, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure a few veterans may may correct me, but but so Fort Hood's massive, and now Camp Shelby is the is the the largest training post for reserve and National Guard. Matter of fact, when we were there, we also were training alongside the Tennessee National Guard and the Wisconsin National Guard while they were training to go to Iraq. So there was three huge brigades from different states training to go to Iraq at the same time that I was there. So tell us more about. I guess the uh, when you're when you're doing the training, you're going through basic. All these, you know, it's obviously really challenging. It's meant to prepare you for, you know, the worst of the worst scenarios for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, basic training, you know, for the army is it's it, it can be somewhat tough. Um, back then, anyway, it's a little bit different. <laughs> a little bit different now. Uh, not that it was just um, over the top tough, but no, it it prepares you. You have to you have to learn basic soldiering. You know, from drill and ceremony to uh, to basic discipline, you have to learn how to do things and, and learn to be you know, simply good order and discipline. Um, the I was military police, so I went through military police school. 
Is that, it, is that in Fort Leonard Wood? Uh, it is. So yeah. it had just, when I went, it just it had just moved back in the day. It used to be at Fort McClellan. Okay. And then it moved over to Fort Leonard Wood. So I went in 2000 uh, to Fort Leonard Wood. Fort Lawson the Woods. Fort Lawson the Woods, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not a... Not a very nice place. Uh, you know, it was there. Was, there's not a lot to do when you go outside the, the post. It's that's not for sure. There, yeah. yeah, it's not a not a not a booming uh, metropolitan area. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Rural Missouri is kind of where yeah. they yeah. Rolla, I think it's called Waynesboro, something along those lines. There was just <laughs> not much to do back in those days. So you get through you get through your basic, you get through MP school, and then where do you go from there? So I went to so I, so let's backtrack a little bit. So between yeah. the, my junior year uh, after my between my junior and senior year of high school, I went to boot camp. Okay. So I finished my final exams my junior year, and then like two days later, uh, or no, the next day, I, I left to ship off to go to basic training. I was two or three days late for my senior year, so I graduated basic training, came back, finished high school. I was a couple days late for high school my senior year. Finished that. Three days after graduating high school, I shipped off to military police school, came back. Ten days later, I started college and then was working. So I was in college and, and doing the um, – and working while I was going northwest at the time. Uh, for my first year, while um, then nine eleven happened. Wow. Okay, and then so nine eleven happened, and it was like a wake up call. I, I realized, I kind of realized right then that morning that my mom had woken me up. I had been working in a truck line. I was working at Avery Express, and and going northwest. <clears throat> and I was a couple hours before getting up going to school because I'd been working like the midnight to five a.m. shift. So I got up and and in time to watch the second. Uh, tower mm-hmm. uh, get get knocked down. It was kind of kind of at that point that I realized I would be going going to war. I didn't know where, but you kind of knew at that point that it got serious. Yeah, yeah. This was this was real. This was this was no longer um, just something that you do. This was no longer the weekend warrior game where you just go once a month and a couple weeks a year. Like this was this was the real deal. So I think for anybody that uh, you know, and there's I think there's a lot of. People now that whether they're in high school or college or even you know entering the workforce, they weren't they didn't really experience that the way that a lot of us did. Where you know we're in high school and we're seeing this you know potentially play out, or we're you know in the in the workforce, we're seeing it play out on TV. And at first you were just like, well, maybe this is an accident. Like first first plane hits a building, and you're like, well, this is a terrible tragic accident. And then the second one happens, you're like, oh man, like this is. And then you get more reports of there's another one headed towards DC, yeah. and the one that hit the Pentagon, it was like our like this is happening on our on our turf, um, and it you know you're you're sad in in a lot of ways because there's people who um, you know are losing their lives, but at the same time you're angry because you're ready to like what do we need to do to get to find out who did this and and you know bring them to justice I think as well. But you were the you were you were one of the, on the different side of that. Where like you're the one bringing justice. In no, some but ways, but, right? but to your point, I, I was 19, almost 20 when that happened, and I was just as angry. I mean, I was. I mean, mm-hmm. I had that bravado of man, I'm going to war. You know, let's go, let's mm-hmm. go. I don't care. Let's like I, I was just like everybody else, as angry as can be, and, and like willing to do whatever it took. Like let's let's do this. You know, you want to dance? Let's dance. And mm-hmm. so, um, little little did I know I'd get the opportunity. A couple, obviously, in a, within a couple of years. Um, but it was, and and again, if you didn't live live through the nine eleven, it's hard to like you said, it's hard to explain to people today, especially the, and I gotta sound like an old man, but the younger generation, they don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, I know I'm what you 41, mean. Forty one, but they, it's different different time that, that understanding what the world was like back then and how, like so much innocence has been lost. Like our world That's was right. different before then. Like you, the airport's not the same. Nothing's the same. Anymore. Right. 
you know, so it's hard to explain what life was like compared um, before that. And like, the, this is the world they know and grew up in. So, but the, in, um, I don't know, it's a, just a different, different, a different world. That was, different that was world, a, that's for sure. You know, Pearl Harbor and 9-11, that, that just changes the outlook on things, you know, and, and it's hard to believe that, that 9-11 is now 20, 22 years ago. Correct. You know, so um, we're all, I guess we're all getting a little older. I, I was a sophomore in high school. I think, Ben, we're the same age, so I think, or a junior in high school, so we're about, that's about what we were doing. So um, Yeah, I was in a, I, my high school had, like, trailers in the back because we didn't, I guess, have enough money to build onto the high school oh or something. Goodness. I don't know, but what, so we were out in a trailer. We didn't even have TV out there, so we came back in. Everybody's buzzing. <laughs> And you're like, what in the heck's going on? Like, we got, I, was there like a fight by the Coke machine? Like, what's everybody buzzing about? And it was the, it was the, uh, it was 9/11 had just happened. I remember gotten, gotten I was, away. I had class, I had, I had <clears> going to class that morning, like a few hours later. I had like a 10 o'clock class or something northwest. And I remember the teacher, it's like a sociology class or something. And she tried to, she tried to go on as normal. And everybody's sitting around just with their jaws dropped. Like, there's, yeah, there's no way. There's no mm -hmm. way. The only reason we're here is because we couldn't, you didn't, you couldn't afford an absence. But like, no one's. Like, turn the TV on. No That's one has right. even remotely cared about uh, sociology right now. That's so, right. It was just um, – and if it's, it felt like kind of a fog and haze over the next few days. Mm -hmm. Granted, I don't know that I've ever cared about sociology a ton. No, me either. Very, very low percentage of caring. Uh, but <laughs> and I took sociology class, so <laughs> it's, uh, you made it through it. Uh, so from that point on, I guess tell us about your experience and uh, kind of your story being deployed and – so in, we had kind of heard rumblings. Obviously the obviously the Iraq War kicked off in March of '03. Mm -hmm. So we had kind of heard heard rumblings. We knew that our time was coming. So the so the the National Guard, like yeah, is a reserve component of the Army, and so but the the combat arms part of the national of the reserves is in the National Guard. So what that means is like the Army Reserve is mostly support. You know, your trucking, you know, even military, even MPs and different things, transportation, those type things. But the combat arms part is in the National Guard. So we were an armor brigade. Mm -hmm. you know, the 155th was an armor brigade. We were we were tanks, all those things. So we, you kind of knew at some point it was our numbers being called, especially as the war kept going on, and it was like it wasn't just some quick few months like Desert Storm. Um, you knew it was coming, and things got kept getting worse and worse. And sometime in, in like the spring of '04, we we got we got told we got on we got put on alert. What that meant was, hey, orders are coming. Prepare, prepare yourselves now. They're coming. And then I want to say it was in. So I was in. I actually got called up to go to go do some um, military police duty in, in Italy for a month. Mm -hmm. One of the only cool things the army ever did for me. So <laughs> while I'm over there playing playing cop um, on a on a base, that's pretty much when we found out we were going. And then when we get home, um, within a couple weeks of being home, sometime in early June, I get a we get we get a phone call. And officially told, and the orders are being sent read, like officially told over the phone, you are now being called up. You have however many days, and you're, you're on orders for the next 565 days or whatever it is. So we knew. And I had to report to, report to Camp Shelby, and I think I got there in early, late July, early August of 04. And then we started training for the next six months and um, spent a month of that in the desert in California. It, it was called the National Training Center. And then in early January, of 2005, I shipped off, flew out um, out of out of out of Gulfport, uh, the Air National Guard base, and flew flew over to Iraq, flew to Kuwait, and then eventually into Iraq, to Iraq. 
So there was a, I didn't realize there was such a, um, and we've known each other for a long time. I guess you always get the impression that it's like you get a call one day and then you, you're you're there soon after, but it really is kind of well. A, they have to a get though. They have, yeah, there's a little bit of a gap. They have to give you time. You know, they they have to give you time to prepare for your family. I mean, you, yeah. you're you're calling up essentially you're calling up civilians who are part time military. Mm-hmm. So you have to have time to get your orders. You know, your your affairs in order. You know, your family life, your work. I mean, you have to let your work know. Hey, by the way, hold my job and be gone for the next year and a half. You know, mm-hmm. sorry. You know, things like that. So you have you have to have time to get your affairs in order. Um, you have to sign. I mean, it's it's you you fill out a will. I mean, if you don't have a living mm-hmm. will, you fill out a will. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember that's when it really you talked about earlier when it really got real for me. That's when it really got real. Is oh crap, I've got a I've got to fill out a living. Twenty two years old, and I got to fill out a living will. Right. You know, and right. so you you realize then this is this is the real thing, and it got really really real for me. Uh, we were training, and it was August, late August of 2004. We had just been out in the field for a couple of days. One of the first times we'd gone out in the field to do a, a mock base, like learning how base operations would work while we we're over there. They built up a big mock base, and how we would how we would how we would handle those things. So we were integrating doing that. And I remember coming back, and I got a phone call from my best friend, letting me know that one of our friends, who um, Matt Stovall, um, First Lieutenant Matt Stovall, had been killed. Mm-hmm. And so he was a friend of mine. He lived around the corner from me. He was married to one of my best friends from growing up. And that's when it really, 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 really hit home for me that, oh, crap. Like, this, is some, this isn't just somebody that I halfway know. This is a good friend of mine. Right. And we drank beer together. We, we partied together. We're friends. And, mm-hmm. I mean, literally lived around the corner from me. And so it's like that's when it really, really sunk in. That this is you're, – you're going to a truly dangerous war zone. This isn't, this isn't a game. And, you know, it was um, very, very surreal, to say the least. And I know a lot of this can be, you know, not it, – it's very difficult to talk about in some ways, um, probably in a lot of ways. And there's – people don't necessarily understand, I think, when somebody comes back, tell me what it was like, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm sure a lot of it is some of the worst, you know, memories you have, right, that you're having to dive well, into. And, and so we I, appreciate well, you doing that because I know it's not, it's a, the, it's not it's, something it's, easy to do. And, and I, I feel it's necessary to talk about the good and, and the bad. Mm-hmm. I think it's – I'm at a point in my life, it's been – it'll be 19 years this upcoming March. So it's been over 18 years mm-hmm. for me since I got injured. And so I'm, I'm at the point where I feel it's necessary to talk about. Yeah, I struggle with it at times. I struggle with the attention. I struggle with people, you know, making a quote, making a big deal about it. And, and it's but just because that's not the way I'm wired. Mm-hmm. And so that's not the way I, I like to just blend in and be normal, live my life and just those kind of things. But the – but people, you'll hear this a lot from veterans that your best, some of your best and worst memories are from the time you served. Like mm-hmm. brotherhood is like nothing else. There is, there is no bond outside your family like that. There is, it's, there is no comparison. You, you can't go to war with someone and and bleed and not have that bond. And I, and you just can't, you can't put it into words. Um, but the the day I was injured. So let's let's go to that. The I've been in Iraq barely about two and a half, maybe three months. And about five days prior, I was walking to the shower. And I had, uh, so back then we were in, it's very hot area. So when, I, we, when we went in 2005, it was called, it was the third wave. It's called Operation Iraqi Freedom 3. So if you ever see a, a letter of OF 1, 2, or 3, I was part of 3. So what the, we were doing the government transition. It was a really hot time. Like it was a brutal, I mean, there was obviously brutal time. We were transitioning the government. Um, supposedly trying to turn it over to the Iraqis. It was just a brutal, brutal time. 
Well, I'm walking to the shower. I had to, over there, I was in a really rough area. We were at the, what's called the base of the Sunni Triangle, the Triangle of Death. So we were in a really hot area. Uh, it's Condoria at Fob Kalsu. And the, walk in the shower, I rolled my ankle. And so my ankle was swollen up. It was painful, but I had to, I had to go to work. I was, I was an mm-hmm. MP. So we right. had to go, I was working at a detention facility. So we were, we were 18 hours a day. We were guarding prisoners. And so I'll go, go to work and in about three hours, my man, my, my ankle's just killing me. So I take the boot off and my ankle is swollen up the size of a, of a melon. Mm-hmm. Well, over there, the train's so bad, so I had to go to the doctor, and they're like, hey, you're confined to quarters. Well, the worst thing you can be when you're over overseas is be confined to quarters because there's nothing worse than having idle time. Right. You know, there's no internet, so I can only watch so many DVDs. There's only, sure. like, you, you can't go eat chow. You can't do anything. Like, it is miserable. You're just, like, there is, it sucks. It's, quite frankly, you want to be busy. Mm-hmm. And so, the doctor says, as long as you squeeze the boot on, you can go. You can go. You can get out and do stuff. Well, I had been confined for four days, five days. Well, a buddy of mine had not had a day off, and he they were wanting to drive to to Baghdad. They were we had a, a routine mission, and I was like, man, I said, Wes, I'll drive for you. Let me just let me go. He said, you sure? I was like, heck yeah, man, let me go. I needed to <laughs> I needed to get some. They have a big Walmart size PX at the at the airport in Baghdad. We don't have any, we're a little crappy outpost. We don't have anything. I'm like, yeah, I need to go get out. I just want to get out. <laughs> sure, you know, and so. I do. I get out, and we we get outside the base. We're on our on our routine mission. It's about a 25 miles from where we're at, and probably about halfway through, we go through this little. From what I remember, we go through this little little small town. I'm the I'm the we're a four four vehicle convoy, and I'm driving the fourth vehicle. I'm the very last vehicle in the convoy, and so we're driving through that. We're driving through, and all of a sudden, it's they they march for everything over there. I mean, they have a holiday for everything. They're mad about everything, and they're 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 pretty pissed off that we're there. And I, I can't blame them. Right. And so they swarm our our vehicles. And I remember my my gunner was like, "Oh crap, it's like Black Hawk down." You know, he's very country. Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 like, "Oh god." And so I have a I lock load my pistol. You know, mm-hmm. I'm holding my I have a shoulder harness. I'm I'm driving, and I have my pistol in one hand while I'm driving. And the they're banging on the doors and. Long story short, we get through that. I'm like, ah, oh, so we can finally breathe. Like, this is cool. This right. is good. And over there, the the big thing back then was obviously was was IEDs, improvised explosive devices, which are roadside bombs. And it's kind of like if you would see snow, if you see tracks in the snow and you see the tracks, you stay on those tracks, you're good to go. Same thing with the sand. So you get over there and you, if you see the tracks in front of you and you don't see a crater from bomb, right? You're like, I'm gonna stay on these tracks. I'm pretty good. Well, start sandstorming. So now all of a sudden we can't see and all the tracks are getting cut over. And they they tell us to stagger the vehicles. Our squad leader tells us to stagger the vehicles. And so just so for better vision. Well, about a minute or a couple of minutes into that is when I run over the IED. So I'm driving. And what what it's called a pressure plate, like kind of like what you would see in a movie where you step on a landmine, you step off and it blows up. So my front tire rolls over. Um, it's buried into the ground. You can't see it, obviously. My front tire uh, runs over it. Um, it explodes. Explodes pretty bad. Shoots the vehicle up. They, they told me 10, 12 feet, they guessed, and it went pretty high. Well, the engine block went through me and traumatically took my legs. And so when they found me, I'm laying there um, on the ground. They sprinted. My buddy Richard Anthony that saved my life, he sprinted um, a good, good 40, 50 meters. Um, and they, when they found me, the door was laying on me. And they didn't realize, you know, a big, mm-hmm. heavy, up-armored doors laying on me from the waist down. 
I'm bleeding really bad from my face, my arms, but they can't really see anything from my waist down. And he said, when we removed the door, that's when we saw the, the mess, as they put it. And they mm-hmm. realized, and I kept trying to sit up, and I was pretty lucid. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure shock had a lot to do with it, but I was pretty lucid. Um, they, you know, he said, I had to forget that I knew you, and immediately went to CPR. And this is where being in the National Guard, um, well, I'm always grateful that I was in the National Guard, not, not necessarily the, the regular Army. He said, I, I was with a group of guys in the civilian world. Most were cops, firemen, EMTs. Richard was a volunteer EMT. Hmm. So he, he was, not, a, he was wow. not an Army medic. The medic was in my truck. So the medic oh, on our wow. mission was in my truck with me. So the medic is blown up. Now, he's not as – I'm the worst injured, but he's, he's still pretty banged up. Sure. And so his, his head's pretty rattled. And um, so Richard is a uh, – he, he, he's worked wreck scenes, crash scenes in the civilian yeah. world, right? He's, he's done this daily basis, but not in a military <clears throat> environment. But he knew immediately how, how to – and the same thing with, with, with um, our, our platoon sergeant, Nat, Nat Bertram. He knew he, – he was a um, – he'd worked wrecks too. And he had, a, you know, he, he had an uncle that had been an amputee. So he knew immediately to tie me off, do everything correctly. Mm-hmm. And so they knew how to immediately work on me based on their civilian experience. Yeah. Wow. And that's why I'm a huge, you know, that's that's that right there. I don't I don't know. I'm not saying I wouldn't survive, but that 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 was a godsend for me to have those two men that knew exactly what they were doing. They didn't hesitate. They had done this repeatedly in the civilian world. Granted, they hadn't dealt with a bomb injury, but they had dealt with car wrecks, severed limbs, things of those natures, traumatic injuries. And you know, they 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 Richard tied me up. Um, he or tied 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 my femoral artery off. I was basically traumatically amputated. And so they, he, he said he got me to the bird. They, they called in a, a medevac helicopter. And the, the, within about uh, within five to ten minutes it was there because we were only about 15 minutes away mm-hmm. um, from Baghdad. We were headed to Baghdad, thankfully. And, you know, he told me, he said that, that it's one of the hardest things he had to do was say goodbye to me, put me on a plane, because I kept, I kept asking him to come with me. You know, oh, can mm-hmm. you come with me? And uh, he, he said, it was, he said, Willie, I, I, I just cried. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. You know, right. you were asking me to get on the bird with you, and I couldn't. I had to, I had to let you go. You know, from there, I get to the, to the what's called 86 Cash Combat Support Hospital. And that crew, you know, they were another godsend. They, I, I ended up dying twice. Um, wow. My deadline twice. I had to bring me back to life. I had... Um, they, I was told 36 bags of blood within the first hour or two. Wow. You know, your Holy body, cow. your body is a full, I was six foot tall, about 215 pounds, and you're, you're you know, a full grown man, and your body only holds about 12 to 13 pints of blood. And each bag is a pint of blood. Well, about 48, I went through about a total of 48 bags over two days' time, just from keeping me wow. stabilized, dying twice. And from there, um, they stabilized me enough to keep me, I guess, to keep me alive. And I went to north to Balad. And then from Balad to Lon- finally to Germany, and I was in Germany for a few days. At that point, I was really bad off. Um, they had prepared. They had called my family, uh, prepared my family to actually fly to Germany. They thought I might die, mm-hmm. and mm. like they had literally um, gone and gotten, getting orders and passports and everything ready to send my my family to Germany. And then I made it through. Finally got back, and within, from the time I got hurt, I, I got to Walter Reed in, in Washington D.C. Uh, within about eight days, I think eight or nine days. And it was a uh, it was a rough time. Um, it was I, I woke up very confused. I didn't sure. I, I didn't even know where I was. I didn't have any time, idea of time. I'm so doped up on on everything they put you on. Um, I remember waking up and my mom 
um, was in the room with me, and, and they had obviously I was bandaged up really bad, or really good, however you want to put it. But I was so uh, doped up, I was really indifferent, and she had to explain to me that my legs were gone. That you know, she said, you know, remember how we had told you there are some things money money can fix, and there's some things money can't. But in this situation, it won't be perfect. But money, money, we can buy you some. We can buy you some legs. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're if you're if you're willing to work and willing to do things, you're you're going to be okay essentially. And so for the next, I was next month. I was in the, the I mean I was in the ICU for a month, and then um, stepped down for a couple of weeks and on a regular work for two weeks. So I was an inpatient in the hospital for over two months, and it was kind of during that time. You know, I remember especially the first few weeks, um, the 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 level of pain. Uh, trying to put it in perspective for people is I had an external fixator. My my right femur was broke cleanly in three places. I had over a dozen surgeries because I was oh. ate up with infection and bacteria. At one point they thought they were going to have to cut me off. And for those obviously you can't see, but I'm, a, I'm I was amputated um, above knee on both legs. Mm. So all I have are two femurs. And my right femur was shattered, was broken three places. They have, I, have a, I have a plate, 10 pins that hold together. My pelvis was broke. I had broke fingers, a couple broke oral bone, you know, other, other lacerations on my arms. And um, which are minor compared to you know losing losing two limbs, mm-hmm. but they, I remember just laying there a couple times. I had an external fixator on my right leg. And for those who don't know that, if you've ever seen like someone that's had like a neck injury and they put the they drill it's big cage essentially they they put to hold your your body parts together. And so just the level of pain, I remember just wanting to not that I wanted to die, but I didn't. I was indifferent to dying. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was so 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 miserable. That I didn't care if I if I didn't wake up. I was just like, just like make the pain go away. But obviously, you know, there were there were other plans for me. And so, you, know, you survive those, survive that time, and, um, you know, they're they're in starting my rehab for the next, um, you know, next year. So mm-hmm. you can, you know, it's um, go ahead. So now we're in the summer of 2006 the fall of 2006 once you're getting out of what's i leave yeah so i i was up there for 13 months and i i, I retire in 13 months later i retired at the end of april of 06 and it was um you know it was a it's a very confusing time for me in many ways during i look back i was you're, you're trying to figure out your new normal right mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out what is yeah what's my life gonna be like i'm 20 right. at this point i'm 24 Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had a traumatic injury. I mean, severely life-changing injury. I don't – I have to figure out who I am again. And I didn't I didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, per se. I had – I didn't – I kind of – the politics side of things never really – I don't know. I had never really entered my brain. <clears throat> I enjoyed sure. it. I enjoyed it as, a, as keeping up with it, but not something I ever thought I'd get into. But the – how to say this properly? I, my mother told me early on, you can be, you can be better from what happened to you, or you can be bitter. Yeah. And I look at I like it like that. this: that That's I can good. be that, and I, I always took that to heart. That I'm not going to be bitter. Yes, I've had man, I've had some rough times. Sure. I've, I've struggled mentally with it. You know, there is no, you can't go through something that traumatic and it not change you. Like, I don't care who you are. And, and there are, I've acted out, I've done all kinds of things, but I've never given up. 
And I've always taken pride in that because we lost 28, right? I keep on my phone. My, my, on my phone every day is, a, is the memorial at Camp Shelby with 28 names on there. And I'm so fortunate not to be the 29th. And I realized this, that, that yes, what happened to me was terrible. What happened to me was, was, was horrible in many ways. Um, painful, all those, mentally, physically, emotionally, all those things. But the, it's almost my duty to live a life worthy of their sacrifice, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, uh, they, my grandfather used to tell me that it's, you know, he's a World War II veteran, as we talked about. He, he told me one time, you know, we were joking about getting older and, you know, never complain about getting older because there's right. so many that, don't ever, that never get the opportunity. That's right. And so I just, I've always tried to, have an atti- ha- tried to have an attitude of being grateful for what I have as, as opposed to being cynical about what I don't. And, you know, has it always been easy? No. But, man, I've, I've strived to never give in to the demons. So. And it's, I think it's one of those things that for, and I'm probably one of the, one of the few people that, that saw this, but there was a MTV uh, series. True Life. Do you want to, do you want to? Oh, it's fine. It so, was, so, I'm, so, yeah, go ahead. So they had MTV True Life. Sometimes it was, I'm a, um, you know, whatever. I have some kind of weird job or they did something that was just extraordinary for their age or whatever it might be. People that were going through certain tough situations in life and they would, you know, highlight three or four people on this show, following them around day-to-day life. And um, they did one about um, combat veterans. Well, yeah, it and was called I'm, I'm a Civilian Again. I'm and a Civilian so Again. followed me and I think two other guys um, about our return from, from service. I was the injured. But, I was the wounded warrior they wanted to, to profile. But what stuck out, because I had only met you just really briefly at that point, uh, because – um, my future wife, back then we were just dating, and everybody was like, why is she with him? But uh, we, all, we all thought that, Ben. I, I everybody, every, everyone. You, it, you, completely was, out, you, you, you <laughs> so outkicked your coverage, my man. It's just, that's just the story of my life. That's going to be. That, that, that's, no, I've known your so. wife longer than I knew you. I, yes. grew up, I grew up around the corner from her. That's right. Yeah. And so we had, well, I think we had just met really briefly. And then next time we, we see is on MTV, and Lindsay's like, we have to watch this. So we. We watched the show, and what struck us the most, I think, and I don't—I'm sure it's somewhere on the internet somewhere because nothing ever goes away. Um, once it's on the internet or on TV, is that your outlook on everything was so much more positive and so much more like, you know what? Like, yes, this happened, but like, I'm going to do something with it. Yeah. Uh, and that was probably the most striking thing um, out of all the people, and that you were the most, uh, you know, affected in a lot of ways. You're the most physically affected. You had gone through the most trauma. Um, out of the people in the in the group, so it was just it was very um, you know definitely very encouraging. Um, it was awesome to see, and it's also TV, so I know that it's not all no it, no the, the, accurate the, the, the outtakes were, were that didn't get shown were obviously <laughs> the best. <laughs> Thank God I would probably never had a political career, but anyway, I'll joke <laughs> aside. They um, the but to your point, man, it, it was and I, I I've gotten that from people. It's it's funny you say that. I hadn't thought about that show in years, and so it's funny you bring that up. But I used to get that a lot from man. We saw yours, and you were you seemed to be the quote normal one, and and, and that's fair. It's not fair. It is what it is, and so everybody deals with things differently. And, and right. man, I remember one being Marine. I forget who that the guy was, and and there's also a level of trauma when you see your friends and your brothers die. That that is a that is a, that is that's that's an invisible wound that's hard to deal with. And so I don't. I'm not going to judge that. Judge that guy. Sure. But the 
but for me, I always wanted to take the take the attitude of like I guess I almost I took it I, I got angry about the fact that I'm not my life is not over, right? And I'm not going to be defined by what happened to me. Like my entire identity was never my military career, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and I understand some people they they whatever whether it's their job, whatever it is, they they their entire identity is wrapped up in one thing. But that was never me. It was something I did and something I'm proud that I did, but it was never going to be all of who I was. Like, I'm 24 years old. My life is not over. Right. If this is, the, if this, if this is all I do, then my life is meaningless, right? Mm-hmm. That, that I'm not – I'm more than just cannon fodder for somebody. I'm more than just somebody that got blown up overseas. Like, I'm, I'm going to do mm-hmm. something. And so I'm, I'm going to be um, a productive member of society. And, and mm-hmm. so that's just the way – that was my attitude then – and I was very fortunate that I have a great group of best friends around me that, that, that treated me like me. Like they didn't treat me with kid gloves. They didn't treat me, and you saw it in the video um, from the show. They didn't, they, and to this day, it's still the same way. We make jokes about my legs. We make jokes. It, it's normal guy banter. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, so I felt normal from that aspect. That was my comfort zone. The people that knew me before and that would treat me the way that I always want to be treated, just normal. And so right. – that it allowed me to to kind of to feel like I could do those things, um, but I was never going to give in and never going to allow um, my situation to dictate my life. Like that's that's just a it's just not going to happen. Like no. So you went on, you come back, you go to school at Mississippi State. Yes. Finish up school there, uh, and then at what? And then at some point you decide to to dive into politics. Yeah. So. <laughs> Backtrack a little bit. While I was an inpatient at at, yeah. uh, at, at Walter Reed, uh, the former congressman from the coast, Gene Taylor, okay. he, had, he had reached out to Mississippi State because I'd been a student at state. Okay. And essentially, I, I didn't get asked. I got told you will you will intern for me. Right. And I, I laughed. I said yes, sir. And, and of course, at the time Gene was he he was he'd been a Democrat, and, and obviously I was a Republican. And I remember joking with him in the hospital when he came and saw me. And I said, sir, I've got something to tell you. And he's like, what's that? And I said, well, I'm. I'm a Republican. He said, well, I don't mind if you don't. I laughed. I said, here we go. <laughs> He's To this day, I keep in touch with him. He is a wonderful, wonderful human being. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I love Gene Taylor. I'm forever grateful to him. But I worked for him, and I actually worked for him during Katrina. And so and I, was, I would go to Capitol Hill three days a week and answer phones and do, do things like that. So that was a very another interesting time that I was there. You know, He's a congressman for the coast of Mississippi. During mm-hmm. Katrina, I remember that we, while I remember distinctly being in the office and we couldn't find him. You know, we couldn't, nobody, they were struggling to hear from him because all, everything, all the communications were down. This is 2005. It's right. not, it's not easy. You know, cell towers are gone. But come to find out, Gene doesn't like being, doesn't like the story being told, but he's down there in his own personal boat. You know, his home's destroyed. Oh, yeah. He's rescuing people. He's going up my 100, he's going up hours north to, to get, uh, to get fuel to bring back. Like he's, he's just being a, a human being. Sure. You know, and and giving back, and he's he you know, he doesn't he doesn't like those stories being told, but that's that's the human side of, of not everybody in politics is a bad person, by the way. Not everybody mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a a distinction that we love to pick on people that, that that serve as if they're some kind of evil human because they raise their right hand and wanna wanna serve, but that's not always the case. Um, but he, I worked for him, and that's kind of how I got into politics. And I remember he had told me. Hey man, if you whenever you're ready, I'll, I'll if I have an opening, man, you're you're welcome to come work for me. And so I wanted to, but I never I did not want to go back to Washington D.C. I had zero desire to go back to Washington <laughs> D.C. I hate it up there. Um, it's not it's not a handicap friendly area. It's not. I just don't like D.C. I'm a Southern yeah. boy. Well, he didn't have any openings on the coast, and I did not want to go to D.C. to work. And so I told him that I had this opportunity to run for alderman, and he 
he encouraged me to run. And so, as they say, the rest is history. And I ran, ran for alderman, um, 2009, and at 27 years old, and got got elected, yep. and served three terms. Um, my last two terms, I was alderman at large, um, and served three terms in the city of South Haven. And it was uh, one of the one of the big honors of my life to serve my hometown city. You know, I used to hear all the time of, "Man, when are you going to run for something bigger?" And, and to me, mm-hmm. there's nothing bigger than my hometown. Sure. That I almost took that as an insult. Like, what's bigger than your own than your hometown, serving your hometown, and, and making a change? Because at a local level, and you guys know this, yeah. at a local level, you can actually make a difference. Like yes. You, you, you may. Agree. I'm jaded when it comes to national politics. I'll freely admit that, right? I'm jaded sure. as can be. But on a local and state level, you can make a difference. You know, it matters who's in office. People think it doesn't matter. It totally matters who's in office. You know, and so I wanted to affect change, but in a good way. And it was one of the biggest honors of my life to be able to serve my city for 12 years. And served at Alder- Alderman at large all three terms? No, for first term I was Ward 4. Okay. And then I ran for at large the last two terms. And that's and that was – so one of the reasons why Chad and I got this podcast started, we call it the boardroom because Board of Aldermen, we work in the boardroom, that, that kind of thing, is to give people more of an inside look at, at the decision-making process and – and everything that really goes into it, because a lot of times I think if people attend meetings, uh, it's like you meet once every two weeks, and we're here for you know hour and a half, and a lot of decisions get made. Um, you know, are they even, you know, what goes into this? And there's mountains of information uh, that we're given. I think every before every meeting, as I'm sure you, you know, y'all were people. A lot of times, people will they they don't even know what we do. Uh, as sure. an I can't That's tell you right. times I get asked, what is an alderman? Well, we're the legislative body of the city. What does that mean? Okay, well, now I've got to, <laughs> now I've got to give a civics, civics class. But to your point is, is that it, it, there's so much that goes into it, and usually I've noticed this is a lot of times people would get mad after decisions made because they don't pay attention. They <laughs> don't, well, they, don't, they don't pay attention and until after something's done. Then they're, I don't understand what happened. Well, this was talked about for months leading up. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't help that. You didn't pay attention. I, I, I wish people were more civic-minded. I wish they were more um, involved. I mean, I'll be quite quite blunt with you. As you know, I'm pretty open and honest. The, right. the, the election turnout in this county, we just had an election two days ago at the time of this podcast. The election turnout is em- embarrassing. Mm-hmm. The fact that we can barely get 25% of total registered voters to vote is shameful. It is absolutely shameful. How can you complain and get upset about things that are done locally when you won't even take the time to go vote for people that you want to represent you? Mm-hmm. And, and I hope I hope I hope that I hope my words bother someone enough where they go, you know what? I'm I'm he's right. I'm going to go vote. You know, we have municipal elections coming up next year or year a year after next. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have to be involved. If you don't if you don't go vote and you don't know what goes on in the city, you you really how do you have a right to complain? Mm-hmm. So that that is my soapbox on that. No, and I think that that it's it's a good segue in a lot of ways to you know to Veterans Day. It's one of the reasons why um, you know I I wanted to get more involved because you know looking at the three of us, if you had to pick two out of the three of us to go with you in a fight, I'm probably the third choice every time. Like let's just be <laughs> honest, even current. How it is? That's just how it is, that, right? Now. You're fi- you're feisty. I've seen you. 
I don't know. Chad, 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 Chad runs a jail, so I, 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 I don't know. I don't. He deals with the bad of the bad every day. I worked. I worked out with Chad for like one summer, and I was like, "This man's a machine. He's he's insane. Like I can't. I, I don't need to. I don't need to go like this. It's not good. It's not good for me personally. But that's what he likes to do, and and I applaud him for it. He's he's staying in shape. He's doing good. But um, the way that I felt like I could give back and and publicly serve was by you know was by trying to, you know, run for run for alderman and, and, and serve a city that, you know, while I didn't grow up here, I think it's very similar to where I did grow up, kind of a suburban metro area, um, you know, with a, a large city that, you know, has issues with crime, has issues with, you know, a lot of things, you know, Atlanta and Memphis, even though Atlanta is probably not as uh, extreme as Memphis is in terms of a, a crime rate, it's still a very dangerous city, um, you know, and you have, you know, a suburban area where people want to, um, you know, have good schools and and just kind of live a quiet life. You know, more any, more than anything else. Be able, but at the same time, this is America. You want to be able to do it, what you want to do, enjoy what you want to enjoy. Um, and that was what uh, what prompted me to jump into all this. Um, and I'm sure you had a lot of the same yes. kind of motivations. Um, you know, working for the working for the city of South Haven, working for the people of South Haven. And to your point about running, you know, you talked about caring about what's going on with your kids. You know, you're a family man. You choose to live here. You choose to raise your family here. And the how do you protect that way of life? Well, you protect that way of life by electing people that, that have the same values as you. You, let, you. you protect that way of life by ensuring that you put people in office that will do the right thing. Being apathetic and just thinking, well, somebody else is going to vote, so they're good. I can, uh, I, you know, I, you have all the excuses in the world. I get it. You have to go to work. I get it. Right. I get it. Is is election is voting is election day ideal for everybody? No, it's on a Tuesday. It's only open from seven to seven. I get it. I wish we could change it to put it to the weekend to a Saturday or something. I wish there were changes, but it's the system that we have. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's a right, it's a fundamental right that you have, and you should take. It's not something. It shouldn't be seen as a burden. Or it shouldn't be seen as something that you just, oh, I'm just going to halfway, oh, whatever, it's in, I'm indifferent. No, it, it, your way of life depends on that. Yep. So, you know, you have no one to blame but yourself if you don't get out and vote. And, my, you know, my grandmother was a poll worker back in the day. Uh, you know, she would, she would run the, the voting precinct. She loved doing it. Uh, she would take time off. She worked for the county in the tag office in uh, DeKalb County, Georgia. She would take time off from work to go run a polling precinct. My, uh, my wife's done time. Uh, as a as a poll worker working at a precinct, um, you know, in the past, and um, you know, and then I had, uh, you know, grandfather uncles that served uh, in the in the armed forces, and so you do kind of. I think it's either something that is either taught early on uh, that that everybody needs to give back at some point yes. in whatever way you yeah. can, um, you know, and uh, and that's just sort of how it is. It's kind of like what you know if you're. Uh, if you're a church, if you're a church going person or something like that, at some point they're going to ask you, "Hey, you need to hold the door open for somebody else. <laughs> show, them, show them where everything is." You know, that's kind of the, the whole deal. Like you, you can be part of an organization, but it's also good to be able to serve and see how other things work, bring other people in, and and you know, show them what service is about too. Yeah. Well, my, my mother, she she's a she is the Bridgetown poll. She's a, mm-hmm. whatever the, whatever that poll manager or whatever there. So she's done that the last I think three three four elections. So, and I think what's so frustrating, Ben and. Uh, and William, about about as we follow politics, is what's really frustrating about the voter turnout here. If is that if if Desoto King would vote at 40 percent, we could really have uh, a lot of control at the state level. Correct. Um, and and 
that's what's so frustrating to me mm-hmm. is, is people complain about the interstate not being expanded or, you know, we're always the last one to get something. And if, if, if our people would vote, I think we'd have a lot more attention of the state, the state leaders. So. And to your point, the, the idea, you, you, man, you're 100% correct. And I've said this before that, that we, how can we go down to Jackson if we, if, if they don't, we have to give them something to respect. Sure. And, and they, they come up here and they want our, they come up here because they, the statewide officials, when they want our votes. And they treat us like Memphis when they when they don't, but you know you'll, you'll hear a lot of local politicians say or local elected officials say I'm gonna, I want to get our our fair share of money, and and that can be construed one of two ways. Some people say, oh, you're trying to be a communist, and you're trying to be, you know, they they go to the extreme, or you're trying like a Democrat. No, not that's not what that means. What that means is, DeSoto County is one of the few areas in the state that gives an overwhelming amount of our tax dollars. We're wanting our tax dollars back here. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what we're asking for. We're not asking for for a, a, a hand me out. We're simply asking for the money that we put into Jackson to be seen and to be used for areas up here. That's it. The I fifty five widening. It shouldn't. It should not take an act of Congress, you know, to um, to get something done. I mean, it is it is a no brainer, and we have to have a voting block up here that that, that it puts fear in the rest of the state. Yeah. And you look at. Like Hines County, for example. Like Hines County is one of those big voting blocks they always talk about on election days when statewide elections. I think they had 67,000 some odd votes uh, that were – well, DeSoto County could have 67,000 people right. vote. That's, it's 50% turnout. And your tax money is going to Jackson <laughs> regardless. So you either get it back and we see the fruits of our fruits of our labor, the fruits of your labor, and you see your tax dollars at work, or it goes to other parts of the state. But either way, the, the state is taking your money. So that's what it's trying to get that across to people. That's why it matters who we put. That's why it matters having a, a delegation um, in Jackson that, that, that works for the will of the people and also works with local elected officials to get things done. Right. Anyway, we got some good people coming, uh, coming we into the legislature this time. Do. So, um, uh, you know, we kept we kept DeSoto County pre-read, so that, that's that's some positive about the election kind of recap. I'm, I'm very optimistic with our delegation. Yeah, yeah we, we were with, uh, I was, uh, with Rodney Hall the other day. I'm, I'm very – Impressed with him. He's going to be good. Of course, Doxer is on the board with us. He's going to be good. Kim, Kim Larry, uh remake. She's going to be great. Uh, I have a relationship with her, so I think we're going to. We kind of got rid of some of our troublemakers, and we got a, a little, yes. little, little, little better, a uh, little better group. So. Uh, true story. Rodney's father was my recruiter. Oh, okay. So I've known hey. Rodney since he was a kid. So uh, yeah, he's a, he's a friend of mine, and um, I was glad to glad to support him. Uh, yeah, we uh, we were asked to speak to uh, uh, the Boy Scout group on Monday night, and. Uh, uh, he was talking to them about the. I think he's in the cavalry. Is that right? Yeah. No, well, he's an infantry officer. Yeah, but, so, he's, he's, but got, he, he has he's, hat, he's has hat and all that. He so. is. He's an interesting guy. Um, he is a very he's he's very humble, but he's a very high achieving man. He has he's an infantry officer. He's an attorney. He could easily take the easy route in the military and been a been a JAG officer. But he is a, a combat arms infantry officer. He's been to ranger school. He's airborne qualified, air assault qualified. He is a um, he is a good leader. Um, we are very, very grateful. Unfortunate uh, to have him. I'm gonna just leave it at that. Well, well, you've been very generous with your time. Anything you kind of want to end with? Man, that's good. I just I want to say thank you for what you guys do. I think it's important, to, like Ben said earlier, that you guys are, are giving an insight of uh, giving an insight of what happens at a local level. And I think um, I'm, I'm, I, I wish I'd have thought of this years ago, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we can't all be as, as smart as you guys. But no, seriously, what you do is um, is phenomenal, and I, I, I continue. Wish you continued success. And well, please, please don't stop what you're doing. Um, it, it matters, and I think you know having on local, local, other local elected officials. Well, we, we're making too much great. money. We're not going to stop. Exactly. Now. Exactly. <laughs> um, 
But I what, think I think it's good. Where's that money going? Yeah, yeah, yeah where's <laughs> that money? But I think I think you guys have it on. You know, whether you had on local mayors, other other elected yeah, officials, yeah, towns would so. be good because you get mm-hmm. an insight to what's going on. I think it's um, I think it's important. So thank you for what you do. Don't forget, Veterans Day is uh, Saturday, November 11th. In case uh, you have not, we we're recording this pre-Veterans Day. So if you're listening in. Uh, the Hernando Veterans Day Parade is on Friday, November 10th. So 10 a.m. 10 a.m. So and there's I a l- lunch and following at the Armory, uh, I believe, at 11. And South Haven's Veteran Days program yeah. is at 11 at the arena on 51. And I think I saw uh, uh, Sheriff-elect Thomas Tuggles, yes. the speaker. Yes, our new sheriff will be, will, be the, will be the guest speaker. He sure will. So thank a veteran um, if you, this weekend. Um, if, you, if, you, if you know of someone that is a veteran, I know that I have a lot of uh, – you know, business customers that I reach out to, I have like a file to, to make sure I reach out to those people to tell them, you know, thank you for your service. Um, it's one of those important things to do. I know that you probably can't hear it enough, I would think, right, William? I know that you probably, you may have a different take on it, but. <laughs> no, no, I, I, no, I'm, I'm very appreciative when someone thanks me. It's, it's, uh, that's, that's not it. It's, I, for me, it's, uh, it's more of a, you know, I look at like the older veterans, and that's mm-hmm. I'm still in all of them. Like when I see right. Vietnam guys, Korean War veterans, and I'm of course I'm the grandson of two World War II veterans. I, they're still giants in my eyes. So I, right. in a weird way, and, and, and a lot of younger veterans, if you understand what I'm saying when I say this, I don't I don't I don't feel worthy of being in their category in, in many ways, as strange as that sounds. So, but no, I'm. It was an honor to serve. I wouldn't change anything. Um, I'm, I am who I am today because of everything that's happened to me. And if you change one, if you go back and change one thing that's happened to you. You change the entire direction of your life, and I mm-hmm. wouldn't, I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys today. You and I probably wouldn't know each other, mm-hmm. and so everything that's happened since since I got injured is is in, in many ways, regardless of what happens, been a blessing. That's so. awesome. We we definitely appreciate you coming and joining us yeah. uh, again, folks. This is our Veterans Day episode of the Boardroom Podcast. We have William Brooks on with us. Uh, you know, just a, a great man, a great uh, veteran here that, that has served DeSoto County as a lifetime of service. Uh, we appreciate having him on. Appreciate y'all listening in, hearing his story. Uh, thank a veteran this weekend on, on, on Veterans Day weekend. Uh, but for right now, I'm Ben Piper. I'm Chad Wicker. Hope you've enjoyed the Boardroom Podcast. Mm-hmm.